Welcome to Antimatterpod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing the Star Trek Strange New World Season 2 finale, Hegemony, which was definitely an episode of television that happened. Was it though? Oh gosh, I... Look. It was better than the Season 1 finale. Yes, by by a lot, I would yeah. say. It was better yeah. than the season one finale by a lot. It wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad episode of television. It just had all of the Strange New World's problems. Right. Right. It's it definitely didn't transcend its nature in any way. Uh, I honestly had real trouble being emotionally or intellectually engaged. I could see the beats before they actually happened which was very frustrating. And there were lots of scenes where people watch things happen and then take a really, really long time to reach a very obvious conclusion, after which they congratulate themselves for how clever they are. Of course, we learn that Erica is the pilot. She flies the ship. No, excuse me. We learned three things about Erica. Yes. She flies the ship. Yes. She was a war hero. Yes. And she's Christine's friend. Now, just because we already knew all of those things doesn't mean we didn't also learn them in this episode. It's true. It's true. I do want to say that I have really enjoyed Melissa Navia's presence in the back half of this season. I I think uh, she was horribly underused in season one. And I think she was really struggling in the first half of season two. You know, her partner was dying. She lost him. How can you just go to work and do a good job under those circumstances? In the back half of the season, she has become a presence that I really, really enjoy to the point where I, I actually like Erica and I enjoy yeah. seeing Melissa Navia's work. Yeah, so I will say that while I absolutely could see all the beats before they happened, mm-hmm. I mean, not to skip around in our uh, outline here, but uh, this week's bad Spock takes misunderstand the concept <laughs> of dramatic tension mm. comes into play here. My main point is the possibility of death is not actually required for dramatic mm. tension. Mm. If I recall correctly, which I probably don't, I think there are four different ways to have dramatic tension and danger is one of them but emotions and communication or miscommunication Mm. maybe Mm. I don't remember them all and I'm not going to look it up right now but the (laughs) point being that I personally think that mortal danger is actually the worst way Mm. to dramatic tension that that is a storytelling crutch that it is lazy Yes. And so the fact that I didn't really ever feel like any of these people were in mortal danger doesn't bother me because I was emotionally invested in them and their emotions. I would say it's really interesting that uh, you've noticed this particular problem with reactions to the Spock chapel scenes because those were the ones where I was fully engaged and I knew they would be okay, but I wanted to see how. Right. So that was the thing was that everyone was like, we, it wasn't even worth paying attention because we knew how it would end. And it was like, that's not how stories work. Right. I don't know. I, I have been, I've said many times that I don't mind spoilers mm-hmm. and I actually 
often enjoy something that I enjoy the first time the second time more yes. because I know what's going to happen and I don't have that like fear mm. and anxiety about what's going to happen and it actually I'm much more engaged with the story if I know what's going to happen I know that that's not like the norm or that's maybe it's part like a third of people or whatever but my point is that just knowing how something is going to end doesn't mean that how it gets there isn't interesting. Right. And I think particularly with Spock and Chapel, they have shown a willingness to zig where we expect them to zag, which frankly, I wish they would apply to the rest of the characters. That whole sequence was, it was fantastic on an action level in terms of getting characters from point A to point B without having them ripped apart by a gourd in a spacesuit. It was just really exciting to watch. And that for me was where everything, you know, production design, directing, everything came together in a way that felt kind of perfunctory the rest of the episode. Mm, I can I can see that. And also I will say just because I'm me, mm. I would like to thank Spock and Chapel for giving me a nice little ballet dance <laughs> in space that I missed last episode. I appreciated yes. that. I feel like that was for me. I was watching those scenes thinking this is going to look so good in Arnica's vid. So <laughs> thank you, Star Trek. Let's go back to the beginning of our notes and talk about the Gorn problem. I've seen a lot of people complaining about the redesign and I do not care even a little mm -hmm. bit. Also, while we're on the topic, I really don't like the design of the Klingons in Strange New Worlds. I think it's lazy and looks more like makeup than even late Enterprise or Voyager. Anyway, the point is, the problem with the Gorn is not the makeup or the, the design, it's the writing. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I like them as yes. very alien. Absolutely. Uh, completely different very difficult to communicate with aliens mm. i like mm. that and i think that it opens up a lot of interesting storytelling beats that they could do that they haven't but they could mm. they, they could go there yeah and i will say that in this episode more than in the the previous gorn episodes in season one I did feel like they were starting to go there. Like yes. there was the idea that that's where we were going to end up in this story. And that is promising. I'm very concerned about <laughs> the, the writer's strike and the long time between mm. when this ended and will be resolved, you know, because it'll give it a lot of extra time to screw it up or listen to fans and that's just always bad yeah i say yeah. it as a fan the <laughs> only fans they should listen to are you and i are us yeah <laughs> but to use the idea of aliens who are very alien mm. and do something interesting with it this is also the enterprise problem where yes. it's like they created aliens that were difficult to communicate with that were so different and in a completely different timeline, mm, but also in mm. ours. And yet, like we, I, maybe they were gonna get there too in that series, but it there were no breadcrumbs <laughs> from my viewing that it was mm. gonna go anywhere interesting. Mm. It was just sort of, we painted ourselves into a corner with these people. Yeah. I, I think Voyager also did it with Species 8472. Yes. I don't know, I don't have a problem with the Gorn as monsters. I'm actually super 
invested in the Gorn are monsters that we have to learn how to talk to. Mm. I mean, I'm into that story. It's my favorite story. The problem is that no one actually seems interested in, I, I guess the Enterprise team, the Strange New Worlds characters just seem really incurious about the Gorn. It makes me think not only do they not know they're in Star Trek, but they don't know that they're being written in 2023. Right. Again, I was saying like, okay, maybe we're going to go there. The idea mm. of Sam Kirk joining them as someone who would get to know the Gorn was like, okay, mm. maybe Sam Kirk actually has a purpose on this show. Fake so far, not in this episode, but mm. maybe we'll get mm. there. Mm. But even that was like, he wasn't allowed to show any curiosity about the Gorn. He, he would like, they sort of like, well, why would you want to do that? And he was like, well, obviously to kill them. And I was yeah, like, yeah. wait, why are we like forcing the one person who's shown any interest in mm. seeing them as creatures who might have a point and we're going to like turn him into a dragon slayer? Even Mbenga is like, oh yeah, I'm totally in favor of just going out and killing them. And I'm like, sir, I understand that you have a very complicated relationship with violence and trauma, but also, just as last year we were saying that La'an needed therapy more than anything else, I really do think Mbenga needs therapy. And a hug. Not from his therapist, that's inappropriate. <laughs> I found this quote from Akiva Goldsman. Uh, it was presented as a new interview. I assume that it actually predates the writer's strike. But he's like, I thought it was important for there to be real monsters in our galaxy. That doesn't mean that 10 years, two seasons from now, we won't be having a nice chat with the Gorn. But right now in seasons one, two and three, they're the monsters. By the way, well, actually, many of the other Star Trek antagonists began as alien, as other, forgive the use of alien, Okay, Akiva. But we learn to connect with them. Not so the Gorn. The Gorn are not understandable to us in this way, not relatable to us in this way. Part of our galaxy is be good, be kind, be empathetic, and also understand that evil exists. Because seeing with compassion does mean you should be blind to horror. The Gorn are monsters. Because seeing with compassion does mean you should be blind to horror. I... I'm a little puzzled. I actually wonder if maybe that was uh, mistranscribed or mistyped somehow. That doesn't uh, make it, sense it to does me. does not compute. No, no. Even less than Goldsman's usual writing, which is generally, you know, coherent on a sentence level. Like you, I don't hate the concept of these aliens are so alien and so monstrous that we cannot find common ground. It's just really troubling that the characters aren't even trying and Pike is out here going, sometimes monsters are just monsters. That was when I was like, oh, Erica and Sam are space racist because Pike is space racist. Right. Yes. You know, top-down leadership right there. Yeah. I don't want the Gorn to be so alien that we can never communicate with them. Mm. I want them to be so different that it's not as easy as the Vulcans or even the Klingons mm. or the Romulans mm. or whoever's the bad guys because they don't have civilization the way that we understand it yeah and i think part of my problem is that 
in Australian history. You know, there was a brief noble savage period where they were like, oh, these Aboriginal people are so wise and in touch with nature. And then it became more convenient to declare that they were not even human, that they were the missing link. The settlers, the invaders were looking at settlements. They were looking at technology and they were going, mm, no, I think these guys are animals actually. And, right. and so the the fact that Starfleet, the fact that the Enterprise is doing the exact same thing with the Gorn, these people who have very sophisticated technology, and going, mm, I wonder if they're just monsters. It's the people who look at the pyramids in Egypt mm. and say, obviously aliens built those because Egyptians certainly wouldn't. Yeah. And it's like, what are you talking about? I... I think the Gorn could be interesting. I don't think that they're there yet. Mm. And I I like the idea of there are monsters in this galaxy. I'm not sure part of our galaxy is be good, be kind, be empathetic, and also understand the evil exists is where I want to live in Star Trek. It kind of... Oh gosh, this is a very tenuous connection, but it reminds me of when my mother's male best friend came out when I was a teenager and I got the talk about how Christianity is love, Christianity is acceptance, but not gay people. Exactly. No, I was mm. going to say, it feels very religious cult yeah. to yeah. me. It feels very, we are all encompassing and all accepting as long as you agree with us. Yes, which is the and Federation. Uh, but... Which is the Federation. <laughs> but that's not a good thing. No. And so, again, clearly Akiba Goldsman says that's the Federation, but he thinks that's a positive. He's like, clearly mm. the Federation mm. is the best of society. It's the utopian society. It's realizing that we, we have to ex accept everybody, except not everybody, because there is evil in this world. And... I am not that person. I am very mm. much the evil has a reason it, and no one is just evil for no purpose. Right. Or, because, you know, just because, because mm. they're evil, because evil exists. Mm. I don't believe in evil existing. Especially if quote unquote evil is a race or species that needs right. this for survival. I've definitely seen speculation that they're going to sort of revisit the ideas that Star uh, Stargate Atlantis fumbled because that introduces a species whose literal survival depends on feeding on humans. And how, how can you reason with those people? How do you find common ground? And Stargate did it with some ethically dubious uh, genetic augmentation, which is obviously off the table for Star Trek or the Federation. That would be funny if the Illyrians saved us from the Gorn. However. So uh, two things. Yes. One, when I say I, I'm not convinced the evil exists, I will also say that I'm not convinced good exists, that there's just people yeah. <laughs> we're all you know there, there's no, nothing that is inherent that it's all just you know neutral and we make choices and those choices are based on our reality mm. and our reality is where we came from who were we raised by our you know what our circumstances are what happens to us what happens to people that we care about it's like there's all sorts of things that go into it and so I just want to say that I don't think that the Federation are just inherently good either. 
Mm. But mm. it's a choice. But then, two, what were we talking about? You were talking about something. I was talking about Stargate Atlantis for some reason. Stargate Atlantis, <laughs> which I have not seen. I have seen no Don't. Stargate. It's I bad. watched like four episodes and I was like, this isn't for me. <laughs> Bye-bye. But yeah, so that story, the story that you said that uh, Stargate Atlantis fumbled because it was about aliens who require humans to survive. Mm. I would like to put that out there. That, that is not a new story. That is called Dracula. Yes. <laughs> that is called vampires mm. or really any many monsters in the mythos of humanity, but certainly specifically vampires because they're cool and they're you know, eccentric and attractive and smart, intelligent. Yeah, There's yeah. like intelligent vampires who still want to eat humans because that that's how they live. That's mm. what happens. And the ones that they like the most, you know, they bite and keep around. But the ones that they don't like, they just, you know, use as food. And so this idea that we're like breaking new ground <laughs> by mm. telling this amazing story about creatures that would feed on humans, it feels like, yeah, that's, it's not really breaking new ground, but it is telling an interesting story. And, and maybe we should investigate that instead of just coming up with a way for, you know, humans win. Yeah, humans win yeah. because they convince the Gorn that they're not food and, and the end. That's the other thing. We know how this story ends. We know that we don't make meaningful contact with the Gorn until season one of the original series. And it takes Captain Kirk like a day to realise that the Gorn are people. And meanwhile, the Federation, the Enterprise crew are just going around like this for years. Kind of makes them look a bit stupid. We know that Kirk is very smart, but also I I've seen speculation and hints that there's going to be like two species of Gorn, the hunters and the people people. I don't love that. I don't like the idea that one section of a society is acceptable prey because again, yeah. we're killing their children. That sounds really bad. That's going down the different races have different IQs way. <laughs> I don't like that. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. Imagine the devil in the dark if the hoarder was hostile and not just protecting its people. I think that's a really interesting story. I don't hate this story on principle. I just don't like the execution so far and I don't think it's very Star Trek. I think it's really hard to mash up the alien xenomorph universe, which is, I love those movies, but they are so dark, so nihilistic. And you simply cannot bring them alongside Star Trek the way Strange New Worlds right. tries. I have a, a love-hate relationship with those movies. Mm. And honestly, it's more hate than love. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly with Prometheus and yep. quote-unquote modern yeah, uh, yeah. versions of the story have been really, really hard for me. I... I don't see how any woman can watch mm. that movie and be happy. Like, uh, and... Yeah, I watched the first four movies, like the Ripley movies earlier this year, and I loved every single one of them. And then I thought about re-watching Prometheus and going on to, I think it's Covenant, the next one, and I was like, yeah. actually, no. no. Actually, no. Like, 
Ridley Scott returned to the franchise and made it about Michael Fassbender. And it was just, yeah. I mean, not even about Michael Fassbender. He made it about himself, basically. Mm. <laughs> he made mm. it about like the idea of man. Yeah. And yeah. not and not 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 man meaning humanity. <laughs> man meaning. Um. Yeah. Which is a problem because the Ripley movies are so very much bound in female fears, sex, rape, forced reproduction. And it's interesting that they have never had a female director for any of the movies in this franchise. Each male writer and director has brought his own agenda and his own ideas of feminism. So... Some, right. of them are, some of them are very problematic. Joss Whedon wrote a whole alien movie. It was not great. But it makes them really interesting and rich texts and really worth watching and paying attention to. And I feel like uh, this episode of Strange New Worlds, and certainly in the first season, were deliberately taking beats from the alien movies, but not really understanding them or being interested in women the way right the ripley movies I, I think, were i think that's the main thing is that they they liked the aesthetic mm. of the alien movies but they didn't dig down into what it all means right right and as was pointed out in our discord if you take those concepts and you put them into 2023 mm. they it's a very different message in the current political climate yeah. And it's not a good one. So first, uh, I think it was Darren Mooney pointed out that uh, both Marie Battelle and uh, the Enterprise crew, in trying to shut down the Gorn beacon, they don't look at sabotage, they don't look at like any kind of high-tech solution. In both cases, they've gone for a kind of 9-11 fly a ship into it solution, which is interesting. You know, I think our heroes as the terrorists is mm. uh, a really fascinating idea. That was the best part of Rogue One. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Imagine if it was intentional, though. <clears throat> and then I guess it's time to talk about Marie Battelle and the fact that it's 2023 and we're in the post-Roe landscape in America and the highest-ranking woman in this time period that we know has been forcibly impregnant. Not good. It's really bad. And... Again, I love the Alien and. movies. My favourite Alien movie is Alien 3. I'm not opposed <laughs> to this concept. It's just not about her. Marie right. is barely a character. She exists to make Pike have feelings. There is actually a conspiracy to take away her agency in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Everyone signs on to, we're not going to let her decide. Yeah. What happens to her or her body, we're going to decide for her because we know better. Mm. So my comment here is not getting to sacrifice herself to save everyone else a better or worse fate than if she did get to sacrifice herself to save everyone else, Labro Laren. Or Katrina Cornwell. Because I really do think that part of Marie's conception is we need a Cornwell type, but she needs to be fuckable, meaning 20 years younger. And I'm really torn because obviously I'm not in favour of sacrificing yourself to save everyone. I think Star Trek has visited that well for female characters 
many times too many. And yet at the same time, I think there are ways to save her that give her agency and choice or, or even let her make her argument with more force. Most of her crew are dead. She doesn't want to outlive them. You know how with Lorca, we knew there was something wrong when we found out that he did not go down with his ship. And with Marie, she doesn't seem to have survivor's guilt because she knows she's not going to survive. Like, those are really fascinating parallels. And I wish that the show would think about her as anything other than a vehicle for Pike feelings. Right. I love that this episode began with her captain's log. Yes. It was very strong. I like everything she did. I'm not against her storyline. No. Her storyline can happen exactly the way as it is happening. I just want it to be her decision. I I would like that if... Like, I love Christine Chappell, and I'm never going to say, Christine Chappell has never done anything wrong in her entire life. But when she said, no, I'm not going to do that, absolutely. I was like, (laughs) Christine, Mm. Christine, honey, she she was very clear Mm. what she wanted to happen. And you shouldn't just, like, take that off the table. That's not good. No, no. But I definitely think that's Christine as a nurse, whereas Mbenga as a doctor would have a different response. And I would also say it's Christine as someone who literally just was in a near-death experience mm. for, like, I don't know. How many near-death experiences does Christine Jaffel have to have? But she literally just came out of one. Yeah. She hasn't been able to process any of it. She hasn't been able to process any of her feelings that she's had for the past five episodes. No. And she's not in a good place for it. So... I completely understand why she's making that choice. And she's also the one who wasn't able to hit that button in the flashback sequence to delete Mm. someone's life because that's not her goal. Yeah. So I get it from her, but it was also just like, please stop making promises to Pike Mm. about Patel's life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He is not, in fact, her owner and guardian. I love the first scene where we open with her captain's log and finally, after two seasons, see her as a captain. But why... And she immediately loses her ship. (laughs) Yes. But also, like, her boyfriend is calling her at work and I'm like, "Why, why are you taking his call? You don't need to do this. Just break up with him. I like to think that after he sang his song about how he can't stop lying to her, Battelle's first officer came and was like, I've been doing some research on Earth's ancient internet and I would like to introduce you to a phrase I discovered. Dump the motherfucking asshole. And then like the crew lines up and there's a kick line and a song and dance number about how Pike is the worst and she should break up with him. (laughs) I can't accept it. Rip the Cayuga crew. So I have, like, two notes about Marie Patel, and the first I've already said Mm. about her sacrifice, you know, Mm. (laughs) which is better. And the second is, girl, you deserve better. Oh, God. From everyone. Girl, you deserve better from everyone. She really does. From the writing, from the fandom. Oh, my gosh. Let's put that aside for right now. Yeah. But... When Pike comes and she's happy to see him and she gives him a hug and then she's immediately like 
why are you so stupid to mm. have come? This is not what you should be doing. And she's right. She is. And she's such so close to being a really interesting character. Mm. And frankly, I would like her to say and Pike to go. Yeah, let's, uh, you know, we don't have to kill Pike. We know what his deal is, but we don't know that he stays captain of the Enterprise for this whole time. Maybe it's really important that he moves to Starbase One and oversees the building of, you know, the Cayuga 2.0 while Captain Patel takes over command of the Enterprise. I'm concerned about her, that she lost her ship and mm. Starfleet is like, gets upset about those kinds of things. And I'm like, unless you're they were already mad at her for that whole it's amazing to me that fandom is super mad at her for her role in una's trial and like starfleet is mad at her for her role in una's trial mm-hmm. and it just seems really unfair mm-hmm. to patel who was just doing her job like to the best of her ability doing her job as fairly to Una as possible, to the point where, frankly, I think she was being a bit unethical in terms of her duty to Starfleet and to offer legal representation to them. As I said in our Ad Astra episode, I come from a country where barristers don't get a choice about the briefs they take. Like, so, the the idea... I don't think... Prosecutors don't get to choose. Which, no, which, no. Which, that, that's not... That also in America, mm. they don't get to choose. They're assigned. Yeah. As I understand it, prosecutors, whether in the United States or Australia or the UK, anywhere with our particular system, the prosecution departments are really hierarchical. Anyway, I feel like Marie suffers because she was introduced as girlfriend first and captain as an afterthought, uh, as opposed to Cornwell, who was introduced as admiral first and then the layers and layers of her personal life came in and also you know, by her third or fourth appearance, Katrina's main relationship was not with Lorca, but with Michael. Mm -hmm. And Marie has not had that chance to develop wider relationships and interact with the rest of the cast. She has, yeah, yeah, she's been in the girlfriend box all along. I feel like she's been thrown off the glass cliff in a lot of ways. And now she's been fridged without actually being fridged. So she's certainly been put on ice. It's very it's amazing. Clever. I think they it's, thought they were yeah. very clever. It's like, I honestly, you almost have to respect it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. We're going to subvert fridging by fridging her. Yeah. And then... Amazing! Someone on Tumblr made me very upset by pointing out that she has been put in stasis on Biobed 2, which is the faulty one that Mbenga can't fix. Oh no! It's okay, because as I was talking to you five minutes ago, I realised they'll just put her in the transporter buffer. Yeah, I mean, obviously, she's going to... I was like, I fully expected that to happen before the end of the episode. I was yeah. like, I know where she's going. Mm. She's going in the transporter buffer, because yeah. that's their yeah. thing. I was reading, a, like, post-Oppenheimer, <laughs> I've been reading about Edward Teller, whose solution to basically every problem was an H-bomb, and... Mbenga is like that, but with the transporter buffer. Yes. Which, yeah. to be fair, is a better way to go than the H bomb. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, uh, given a choice, I will go with Mbenga on any possible level. But. <laughs> All right. Do we want to talk about Scotty? About... Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about Scotty. 
And Scotty makes five. Five legacy characters. I like him. I'm glad to see him. I am weirdly delighted that he's played by an actual Scotsman for the very first time. Uh, I, I noticed that the nerds of Scotland are equally delighted, and they should be. That's precious. And I'm not really engaged with Scotty as a character, but I will say two things. I was certain that Pelia was going to die, and she hasn't, and she actually has a really fun relationship with Scotty, and I would like to see more of that. And also... Uh, you know, in Star Trek V, there's this completely random Uhura-Scotty relationship that doesn't really make sense. Yep. I don't ship it there, but I think that Lieutenant Scotty and Ensign Uhura would make a really good pair because she spends a lot of time in engineering. She likes to DIY comp stuff, and he is a junior engineer. And since Uhura and Pelia aren't really BFFs, she needs someone else to like help her out. And I just think it would be cute if they kissed. Right. So we've been saying that Uhura needs a, a romance. Yes. I kind of love the idea that that rant, <laughs> nonsensical mm. romance in Star Trek V has a basis somewhere yes. else. Yes. And I completely agree. It's like, oh, so the reason that Uhura bonded with Hammer and then had this friction with Pelia is to set up this idea that mm. she can have this relationship mm. with Scotty and it, it doesn't even need to like go it can be just like flirtatious oh yeah you know like just a a fun little like hey you're cute and mm. I'm gonna be your friend on the ship honestly new Scotty was delightful yes I found him he was a breath of fresh air from introduction I was like oh you're adorable mm. <laughs> you know, I I am fully on board with you I also don't really care about Scotty as like a character. He's fine. I don't have anything against him. I just don't have any like strong feelings. Right. And so, you know, he was precious. He was this sweet little guy. Mm. He's a genius immediately. Mm. They see that immediately, but also kind of like a little bit of a weirdo. Doesn't yeah. really, you know, fit in easily. Mm. Um, I loved when he was saying, like, you know, if you're going to have a private conversation, don't have it right in front of me. Scotty, you are like, wise. That was so good. It was such a good little character building moment. Mm. I love the Pelia connection. I love that he got terrible grades, which <laughs> means that Una is also really good. Yes. And, I, and think, just, I think we need to consider like, the possibility that Pelia is not a good teacher. I, I think that's probably true. Uhura would certainly say that she's not a good teacher. Yeah, so, yeah. so yeah, I mean, I found everything Scotty as, you know, it's funny because I watched the whole episode and I like made all my little notes and then I was like, and also Scotty exists. <laughs> <laughs> he had no impact on the story or my investment mm. in the story in really any way, but I also thought he was great and there have yeah. nothing against him. I have nothing bad to say about him. He seems like a sweetheart. The pictures of him holding all of his stuff and, and you know, luckily he's going to fall over. Super cute. Yes. Like you, I have no strong emotional connection with the character, but I'm not, I'm not mad about seeing him. And I suddenly really like the idea that 
the Uhura Scotty relationship in season five, in, in a movie five, is not we have known each other for decades and suddenly we're getting together. It's we've had a casual, friendly, off and on thing for decades and we're currently on again. And I like the idea My. of them basically doing the same thing as Spock and Chapel, but not fraught at all. Like, I want. I literally like, said this on Tumblr about yeah. half an hour ago. Perfection. <laughs> the best relationship yes. possible is the on again, off again, just really, really good friends who every once in a while decide to have a romance. Yes. Perfect. Best relationship ever. Absolutely. And I particularly want Uhura, who suffers so unreasonably in this show, to have a chill relationship with someone who thinks she's great. Right, exactly. I can also see it as a very, like, Scotty would be fine with actually settling down, because he totally seems like the settling down type. Yes. But he respects Uhura and her choices, and he doesn't want to settle down with someone else. Because he cares about her so much. And so he's like, I will accept whatever relationship we have and that's good. And also I feel like neither of them would be really uh, horrified or heartbroken if one of them found love with someone else. Basically, I see them as an even more chill Riker and Deanna. Right, exactly. Yeah. And that's great. I absolutely fully on board with the idea of that and and i like okay so it's really hard to be a spock worshiper in aos yes you just get bombarded on every side by people who are angry at you and the scotty and uhura shippers are part of that there are some people out there who are like spock and uhura erased scotty and uhura and it's completely wrong in every way and clearly they're soulmates and i'm like okay just because they've had like a five second flirtation in one movie mm. that is not even considered canon by Paramount <laughs> does not mean that they are soulmates. I respected the Spurk people way more yeah. than you guys. At least they have like backup. <laughs> so I'm excited to be mm. on the like, look, this is a relationship I can get behind. And no one has to be angry about it. Yeah, yeah. I just think also they're both very young and they're both very bright. And it's cool to have that connection between people who are equals or as near as. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So your note here is, do the writers know that Erica Ortegas (laughs) is in the main cast? And my response is, do they know Sam Kirk is not in the main cast? Good rejoinder there. Mm, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Like, what is happening? <laughs> Again, nothing. We get nothing. I. Yeah. I I saw people calling for Lieutenant Mitchell to be added to the main cast, and I'm like, sure, I love her. She seems great. But we already have the Voyager problem of having too many regulars and not enough screen time to service them all. You know, this is a 10-episode-a-season series. So, just as an aside, I legitimately thought you meant people were calling for Gary Mitchell to be added to the cast. <laughs> and I was like, no, absolutely not. But, yeah, I, I did not even notice until this moment that mm. Lieutenant Mitchell has the same name. And uh, I'm pretty sure the same position. 
interesting. That's weird. I actually do think that we need like a throwaway line to remind us that Kirk already has a best friend and he's the worst. And also I think it should come from Sam because Gary Mitchell has absolutely given Sam a wedgie. And in this case, I'm going to say Sam probably didn't deserve it. Yeah. I mean, if anything, Gary Mitchell should be over on the Farragut. Yes. Yeah. Obviously. Anyway. So yeah. So Erica, I honestly, like, I think I'm being punked. (laughs) What is going on with Erica Ortega? She she had like actual scenes in this episode. Yeah. And I liked them both i really Mm. enjoyed her excitement you know her top gun tom cruise excitement Mm. as being a test pilot and and making fun of pike for like being an old fuddy-duddy who's forgotten what it's like yes that was great i was totally on board with her and i honestly loved the four line scene with Mm. manga where Mm. they were talking about christine yes and I was like, I'm fully on board with the Ortega and Christine friendship. I am there. Right? And remember the first half of the season where we were, were wondering yes. if they were really friends. And now I completely believe in it. But also, my favorite Erica scenes, I've realized, are her interacting with Mbenga. And I think yeah. that's in part because Babs has chemistry with everyone and he is an actor who uplifts everyone he shares a scene right. with. Yeah. I think she has less experience too. She, I don't know anything else she's ever been in, but that scene with Mbenga again, mm. it was like literally four lines. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was than 30 seconds long. And yet I fully remember it. And I was like, yeah. that was a highlight of the episode for me mm. because she did do a good Christine and, and it was heartfelt and it added to the stakes. Yes. Like again, even knowing that Christine was going to be fine. Mm. their worry, their collective worry about it was so powerful. I actually think part of the problem with Erica is that a lot of her scenes are with Pike, and I think Anson Mount does not have that skill that Babs does of uplifting a weaker scene partner, Mm. which is not a criticism of him. I think that it is a very specific and remarkable skill, and a lot of actors don't have it. Perfectly good, competent actors I just think it's a problem that Erica has been put into the pike box when clearly she... Erica needs to be like Tom Paris and also work in sickbay. Right, yeah. Erica needs... She just needs more. Mm. (laughs) She needs... We we know three things about her. They are the same three things. Mm. We have learned nothing this season that we didn't already know in the first season. Yeah. She's gone nowhere. She's gotten no character growth not even character like potential growth she's been thrown into situations but she doesn't get to do anything in them the most she's done this entire season is stand up to bad Klingon guy yeah and then we never saw her again in that episode meanwhile we have learned so much about Sam Kirk and his relationship with his dad and his relationship with his brother and we can hypothesize about his relationship with his mother who we assume still exists and how he's good slash bad at his job yeah and, yeah I mean and that he is a messy co-worker right he is the catalyst for bringing Kirk and Spock together like great mm, mm. so while we're on the subject of Sam Kirk yes I have a I have a 
Oh, is this the bad theory? Oh, okay. What's your question? I don't know. We will get on to my bad theory. So mad. A question about how things work on Pike's Enterprise. Yes. My question is, why can people just walk into the conference room at opportune moments and just interrupt private meetings for Mm. no particular reason? Mm. It happened last episode, Subspace Rhapsody with Spock. Like, they were having a private conversation. Uhura Mm. and Pike were like, let's talk about what's going on. And then Spock, like, showed up and was like, have you figured out what I have figured out? And I was like, Spock, how did you even know this this meeting was happening? And the same thing happened in this episode where they're like, we're going to have a private meeting about literally breaking Starfleet regulations. Mm, mm. And Sam Kirk just shows up and is like, are you breaking Starfleet regulations? I want in. <laughs> so what you're saying is Sam Kirk is the Neelix of Pike's Enterprise. Yes, he is definitely the Neelix of Pike, Pike's Enterprise, the but also unsexy Neelix would never no. let this happen. No, never in a million years would Picard allow random people to come into his mm. conference room mm. whenever the hell they felt like it and like take over. Yeah, How, are the meetings being broadcast to the rest of the show? <laughs> what is what is happening? I actually had a conversation with this on Reddit a few weeks ago because someone was asking a similar question about, you know, how do fans feel about the informality of Pike's Enterprise? And I said it really bugs me because this is the flagship and there's a certain amount of formality and prestige that should come with that. Whereas it does bug me on Discovery because Discovery is a ship crewed by weirdos and civilians that they've picked up along the way. Scientists. Yes. So what I had a conversation with people who are like, obviously Pike's leadership style is collaborative and that's why he allows everyone else to do his job for him. Mm. And I was like, no, mm. <laughs> that's, that's actually bad. Like, yes, in Discovery, where they're all scientists, scientists have to be collaborative. That's the whole thing. Even when they are in competition, they're collaboratively in competition. Mm. Mm. That's not how leadership works. (laughs) It's it's one thing to say, everyone has a voice at the table and I'm going to listen to all of you. He is supposed to make the decisions. He is supposed to Mm. take the responsibility. Like, that's his entire job. It's Pike and then Una. Because I'm always saying, I say all the time at work that I don't want to be the captain of the ship. I want to be the first officer Mm. because the first officer has all of the power and none of the responsibility, but makes everything go, Mm. like makes everything happen. And I'm really good at that. I'm good at looking at the problem and saying, this is what needs to happen in order for this to work. And then the captain says, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this. Yes. Like being collaborative in a way that you listen to everybody great being collaborative in a way that you like push your Mm. authority and responsibility onto everyone else not great bad actually I keep coming back to it that I have had a boss like Pike and for the first six months it was great I felt like I was being listened to I felt like I had room for growth and then there came the point where I realized oh no he's just really lazy have you seen the I'm gonna go to late nineties. I'm not exactly sure. Movie Working Girl with Melanie Griffith and Harrison Ford. And I have Weaver. 
it's definitely seen the VHS case at my local <laughs> Blockbuster. Walk us through Working Girl. <laughs> In Working Girl, Melanie Griffith is a secretary who has a college degree, has lots of ideas, is very smart, mm-hmm. but she has no pedigree. She like went to night school and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And Sigourney Weaver is a very privileged, high up in the company, the only woman who's allowed to get in the mm-hmm. door type person. Mm-hmm. And and Melanie Griffith is super excited to be assigned to Sigourney Weaver because she's never worked for a, a woman. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, well, she will listen to me and she will care about what I have to say and I'll finally be able to move up. And that's what happens is like Sigourney Weaver is like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'll tell me all your ideas. It's going to be great. We're going to be like partners, you know. Yeah, you you work for me, but I'm going to be your mentor and it's going to be great. And then she steals all of Melanie Griffith's mm, ideas yep. and, and yep. passes them off as her own. I've also worked and, for that boss as a secretary. And I feel like Pike is sort of doing that. Where he's <laughs> like, I'm going to uplift you, force you into the position of being captain. You do all of the good stuff. And then go back to your spot and I will continue being captain. Mm. Like he's not taking credit for Uhura's greatness, but he is not saying, hey, you know what? We should uh we raise up Uhura over here. Mm. We should mm. we should put her in on the command track. Let's do that. Yeah. Like he's just taking for granted the idea that like everyone else on his ship is going to work really hard to make sure that the Enterprise continues to be the best crew in the fleet. Mm. And he's leading the best crew in the fleet, and that's all he has to do. Yeah. Do you think this jumps out at us because we are in admin roles? Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> I mean, I love Working Girl. Yes. Oh, I'm definitely because going to watch I'm, it like, now. Super relatable. Like, I understand everything that is happening in this movie because, yeah, you have these ideas, and I. And right now, fighting to be like, look at all they've done for this department, and no one even knows. Mm, mm. And it's not the people that I report to, my bosses are not Sigourney Weavers. They're very supportive. They're not even Chris Pikes. They absolutely would give me credit if anyone asked them, but mm. no one's asking. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. And they're not going to like go tell somebody because why would they? <laughs> so it's just. Yeah. At least Pike asks. At least Pike asks. And he's not the worst. It's just, it's very, like, he's he's lazy about his, you know, he just assumes everyone's going to work to their best. Yeah. Yeah. And takes that for granted. He fully takes for granted the idea that everyone on his crew is just going to do their best. Mm. And it's just weird that he lets people walk into his conferences at any time. Like, again, Picard would never... And I'm, I'm like, I've never said Picard is the best captain. No. But like, I'm starting to believe Picard is the best captain. <laughs> like, other than Michael, who is clearly the best captain. Obviously. Because she understands mm. I'm going to take everything that you tell me and then I'm going to make the decision. Yes. Like, yes. She understands the difference between collaborative and like, you do all the work mm. and then I will do the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think Michael understands that certain members of her crew are weirdos and dorks who don't Mm. understand that you can't just walk into the meeting. But also, she expects 
people like Saru and Tilly and, you know, the actual trained Starfleet officers to behave that way. She has reasonable expectations for everyone, whereas Pike just... Yeah. He has the same leadership style with every single person, which is basically reassurance and platitudes. And I do not function well with platitudes to the point where I would rather work for evil Lorca. Because at least you know where you stand with the gaslighting fascist. I think that's a good point. I think that's what makes Kirk a better captain. Yeah. Is that he changes his command style Mm. based on the person that he's commanding. Mm. He knows that what works with Spock is not going to be the same as what was what works with Bones is what works with Uhura. Yeah. Like, those are different things. And he respects the people that are mm. under him to like switch it up and, yeah. and tell them the orders in a way that they will understand. Mm. And sometimes that involves being a hard ass. Yes. Again, Picard, like his hands off mm. way of, of command Everyone sees it as a weakness, but it's really like protecting the chain of command. And it means that Riker is the hard ass, whereas we don't see enough of Una to know whether she's playing that role. Yeah. So are we going to talk about Una for a second? Because we can get back to Sam Kirk, but I do want to talk about Una for a second. Let's talk about Una. I have nothing more to say about Sam Kirk, so let's talk about Una. Una in this episode is a way better captain. Oh, yeah. And frankly, all I want from part two is for Una to say, sit down, I'm taking over. Mm. And then she takes command of the Enterprise for the rest of the series. Like, Pike can go teach at the Academy right now. Yep. It will be good for him. He will be a good teacher. He will be the oh, teacher yeah. that Elia is not. Yeah. He will be an excellent teacher because mm. that's the type of captain he is. Mm. But, the, like, Una was sitting there going, orders, captain. And I was like... Mm. Damn it, take over right now, Una. Yeah. Right now. (laughs) He does not deserve this. There was a glorious time between season one and two of Discovery where I was sure that casting Anson Mount as Pike was going to be like, ha ha, a bit of a fake out, the actual real captain is number one. And I still wish we'd had that. I am not kidding. I am ready to sign the petition that is... Pike goes to the Academy mm. and we get Una right now. I would even be willing to watch a show that was like half on the Enterprise, half at the Academy, so that Anson Mount was still in the show. I have That's a better fine. idea. Let's just make him a special guest star who works out of Starbase One and he's like running the command training program. So we see him and he can be a really awesome teacher. And, he's... and Kirk can be there. Yes. Because they love him. So I am over Pike. I am over Pike's. Like, I actually hated his ending. (laughs) The end of this episode was so bad for me. Oh my God. I hated it. I was like, okay, it's not as bad as Discovery season two, but, or even like Strange New World season one, because it was just fully like Pike being the worst. Yes. And not everybody else. Again, Una was great. I was like, Una, now. Now is your moment, Una. Yeah. <laughs> Take, Take command. over command. Do it. I am ready for it. Because he is completely incapable. Mm. I described it as the opposite of Best of Both Worlds. Because obviously yeah. everybody was was comparing it to Best of Both Worlds. But in Best of Both Worlds, 
And this is why I said that Commander Riker uh, in 1990 was a better captain than Captain Pike because he did not hesitate. Right. He was like, fire. Yeah. And that was that was awful. That was hard for him. That was hard for us. That was really, really emotional. I get that Pike doesn't want to leave people behind. It's his fault yeah. Enterprise is in this at all. So his people are down on that planet and it is fully his fault. And I get that for him. But so my comment here is Pike did not learn anything from the no-win scenario. No. Because how did how what? did Pike get through his Kobayashi Maru? What like what happens here? He's paralyzed. His face is just like I am completely incapable of making this decision. He looks like my ginger cat trying to have a thought. It is bad times. I yeah. and again, do they know what they are doing? <laughs> Does anyone on this show know what they are doing with Captain Pike? I genuinely don't know and the thing is Anson Mount took a really long time to decide to sign up to this show because he has to leave his family and then he was away on paternity leave for part of this season maybe Anson Mount would like to step back yeah. to, to a recurring role let's do it let's yeah. and it, it wouldn't take anything away from Christopher Pike the character no like, at all no it would be lining up with Christopher Pike in AOS it would be lining up with the who we know he becomes. Mm. Literally in the cage. Yeah. AKA the first mm-hmm. occurrence of Christopher Pike. The the birth of Christopher Pike. He says, I'm not sure I really want to be in command of the Yeah. Enterprise. Yeah. In twenty eighteen, long before Anson Mount was on anyone's radar, before we even had the mirror universe arc on Discovery, I wrote Fick where someone says the problem with Christopher Pike is that he doesn't know what he wants. And congratulations to me for really understanding yeah. the character. Fully understanding. And, like, it's fine. It is fine. Mm. Una, I, I desperately want Una, Cavs and Una. Like, we don't know what happens to her. No. So let's, let's, let's do it. Let's yeah. just do it. Yeah. It doesn't take anything away from anyone else. And if Rebecca Remain also wants to have more time to be with her family and so forth, uh, this is what we get for accommodating people's needs to be with their families. You know, why are we so respectful of people's lives? Anyway, if she doesn't want that responsibility, then we have Marie Battelle right here. Battelle. Yeah. Though I will say that I'm pretty sure Melanie, because she was pregnant in Winona Earp, Oh, so, but she's she Canadian. Also has a young child. Isn't she Canadian? <laughs> yeah, though? that's right. So, I think she is Canadian, so she can hang out with him on set. It yeah, so. like part of the problem with both Mount and Remain is that their families are away in America, and I think both are on the West Coast. So, whereas Toronto, I believe, right. is in an easterly situation. We've established that I'm bad at North American geography, and I'm not sure where Toronto is. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Melanie Scrifano can b- take Anson Mount's job. I welcome it. Welcome it. Mm. We don't even have to break them up if they want to keep the Battelle Pike relationship going. Now he can be the person who only appears in relation to their romance. It's already better. I love it. <laughs> 
Uh, do you want to share your horrible theory that made me angry? I do. <laughs> so, so I'm so sorry. So but mad. in this episode, there is this moment where they are hiding. It's it's really like The Last of Us. They're, mm. they're hiding from the Gorn younglings. And Sam Kirk and La'an together move like mm. a shelf in front of the door. And I had this sudden terrifying thought that the whole purpose of like the La'an and Jim Kirk romance was to set up the La'an and Sam Kirk romance because her name is actually Oralan. I'm so angry. If anyone is going to change her maiden name. Oh yeah. It's going to be La'an Union Singh. The miracle is that generations of her forebears have not taken their spouses' names. And I fully believe also that she would go by a nickname that her brother called her. Yeah. And no one would really know her full name because that's how she described herself. But when she falls in love with Sam Kirk inexplicably, my theory, because of transference of other Jim Kirk feelings, then she would embrace her her real identity mm. of Oraline Kirk. And then she would have a horrible life and die horribly. <laughs> and I don't want it, but also <laughs> he had that hairstyle. Yeah. In the other universe where she was Jim Kirk's XO, yeah. she had, had that hairstyle. Yeah. So... I'm crazy and I don't think it's true, but also it might be true. You have entirely made this up in your head and yet it is, it's, it's convincing in the way that I was convinced that Una was going to be the new captain of Discovery in season two. I wrote the name Orla on uh, in a tag and I was like, oh no, it's too easy to do. <laughs> it's just too easy. So yeah. So touch wood that none of that comes true. We're like 85% wrong in all of our predictions. Hey, guess what? There was no Brent Spiner in this episode. <laughs> That's true. That's true. We were saved Brent Spiner. There was no Brent Spiner. There was no plot about genetic augmentation. Nothing about Sung or Sing. Since that didn't happen here, you know how on... Twitter, they're always saying it's all connected. Yeah. And then Prodigy was cancelled and they were like, I guess you're not going to see how it's all connected. <laughs> so I fully believe that that episode, because it was it was too blatant. Yeah. So tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, I think was setting up something else. Mm. And I don't know if mm. it's Strange New World Season 3 or if it is a different series. It could easily be a different series. Did we not learn that uh, among the genetics in Dahl is Gorn? <gasps> what I'm saying is maybe Dahl is Marie Battelle's lizard baby. Honestly, I would love that. I mean, obviously several generations removed and all that. Also, do we think it's Precious? weird that two female captains in Star Trek have had lizard babies or are having lizard babies. Are we just going to... I'm just going to let that go. Aren't, aren't uh, Cardassians also lizards? Yes. Yes. But lizards with mammary glands, like we see Seska breastfeeding. Oh, wait, what if the Gorn and the Cardassians are really... Oh, 
oh, let's put that out there <laughs> purely to start some fan wank. I'm sorry. <laughs> but this is all, like, I, I actually do not believe that Strange New Worlds will have a third season. I do not believe Paramount Plus will exist in 12 months. I mean, it is a gamble. Yeah. I think the streaming market is contracting and by yes. all accounts, Paramount is doing the worst of any streaming service. Also, we know that the Paramount leadership is just really bad at this. I honestly yeah, think so they are going to dismantle Paramount Plus, sell its library to other services, and it will end up like Prodigy in that the survival of Strange New Worlds and any other project is dependent on whether another streaming service will license it. I mean, I think... That's a possibility. I do think that, like, Paramount Plus, it's they're terrible. They're terrible at everything. But, again, I was listening to this podcast with amazing high production values, and it is sponsored by Walmart and Paramount Plus, <laughs> who are apparently have a connection where, like, if you get a digital Walmart app, like, whatever, mm -hmm. if, you, if you sign up with Walmart, you also get a free month of Paramount Plus. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I already have Paramount Plus, so I wasn't really paying attention. Can I just say that if Paramount um, Plus wants to sponsor us, we will say 30% nicer things about them. <laughs> I mean, I have yet to quit Paramount Plus. <laughs> I signed up for CBS All Access the week it was available. Like, literally, I was one of the first 500 or whatever people to to sign up for CBS All Access because I could not see The Good Wife in any other mm. way, mm. <laughs> which is ridiculous. A ridiculous reason. No, it's a great reason. I love that show. I cancelled my subscription in protest over the cancellation of Prodigy. Unfortunately, I've gotten into women's soccer this week and Paramount Plus has streaming rights to the Australian Women's so Soccer League. I am, and also I will admit right here because I am very transparent. Yes, that I am the problem. <laughs> Not only uh, cancelled Paramount Plus, regardless of what they did, when they cancelled Prodigy, when Prodigy disappeared, the same day that Prodigy disappeared from Paramount Plus, like, and also I just want to put it out there: it's all Nickelodeon's fault. Oh like, yeah, it is. It is not Paramount Plus in toto for uh, for the deletion of prodigy mm, but mm. but prodigy was deleted from paramount plus and on the same day all seasons of csi <gasps> appeared <laughs> <laughs> and i i'm very sorry to admit that i have uh, just reached the beginning of season eight <laughs> in my csi rewatch and there are 15 seasons of that show, so I will be watching for a while, and I hate myself for it. Because I feel like I am I am doing the opposite of what Prodigy <laughs> people want me to do by watching CSI instead of anything else. No, no, you are but just also... single-handedly uh, upholding the police state or something or other. It's all you, Annika. All it's you. It's so bad. It's so bad, but also, like, I can't it's very it's terrible and it's uh you know enjoyable yeah 
Look, I, I watched many seasons of CSI. My best friend wrote CSI fic and made CSI vids. I, we've all been there. Do we want to try and grade season two of Strange New Worlds, like, overall? Well, what I was able to do was there are four episodes that I am just happy with. Yes. <laughs> I'm just like, these are my episodes and I'm just going to enjoy them. There's problems, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. But those four episodes, I just love. Mm-hmm. And I am just super happy with. And then there are, you know, another six episodes that are fine. The four are all on the, like, the gonna watch them again, gonna enjoy them all the time. Mm-hmm. These are my episodes. Mm-hmm. The other six are, like, it's a sliding scale mm-hmm. of good to no. Yeah. <laughs> so you can probably guess. Yes. What my four episodes are. I have some theories. But uh, in in order, because I apologize again for this order, but also this is the order. And it's charades. Yes. Those old scientists, Under the Cloak of War, and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Amazing. Those are my episodes. I loved them. The other six episodes, they add Astra Paraspera is the top. Mm-hmm. Among the Lotus Eaters is the bottom. Yep. And that's just the way it is. Like, <laughs> it's a sliding scale, but those six episodes I don't necessarily ever have to watch again. I actually really enjoy Ad Astra Paraspera, but I want to watch the spinoff that I made up in my head mm-hmm. about Nira yeah. more than I want to watch that episode No, again. I understand. I understand. I kind of feel the same way. My choice of specific episodes is a little different to yours, but... Yeah, I'm going to call it a B season, which is better than season one, which I would give overall a C because there is not a single episode that I would watch from season one if I had nothing else to do. Whereas, you know, I watched Those Old Scientists twice, I I watched Under the Cloak of War twice, and I can see myself revisiting the episodes I like from this season in the future. I have legitimately watched Charades five times. I love this for you. I can't stop watching that episode. My hope is that the writer's strike will resolve favourably to the writers and give them time and conditions to do better work and to deal with the problems of this series, the heteronormativity, the ableism, the careless subtext. Yes. Okay, so you you quoted Akiva Goldsman again, Mm. saying something like, we're going to keep telling stories until we can't come up with new stories. And it's like, buddy, I love you, Akiva. Yeah, (laughs) really. But I love you. But um, they're all old stories. All of these stories have already been told. And that's not a complaint. Because you can tell old stories in new ways. Absolutely. However. But you can't pretend uh, they're new. Yeah, I want to go to a convention and put my hand up and say, oh, hi, I just have a question for Mr. Goldsman. I was wondering if he's ever watched Star Trek. He also said that, no, it was Kurtzman. Kurtzman said that the Spock and Chapler relationship was a central component of the show, which, cool. That was also for me. But it was also like, because no one's ever cared about Spock's love life. Yes, "Um." yes. I tweeted about that. It was last Saturday and I was in a hotel room and kind of distracted. Mm. So I think I I misattributed it to Akiva Goldsman. But 
I don't know how to break this to them, that people have spent many hours over many decades like, thinking about Spock's romantic life. I was like, what? And <laughs> chapels. What are you talking like, about? <laughs> it's easily forgotten just how much het shipping there was in Star Trek fandom in the 70s and, you know, the zine days. And also the very first femme slash was Chapel Uhura. We have spent many hours thinking about these people's romantic lives. Just because men aren't apparently aware of it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Right. It alarms me that the men running Star Trek seem so ignorant of this facet of fandom. But it's also like the Spark and Uhura relationship in the AOS films. Right, like... right. Kind of central. Kurtz, like, Kurtzman and Goldsman were there. They made like, those what? movies. I don't I don't understand. <laughs> These movies, like, what? No. It's fine. Again, I am fully on board with Spock and Chapel being a central part of the show. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. But the idea that no one's ever looked at Spock as as a love interest. <laughs> Is laughable on literally every level. Oh my goodness. There is no reality where that is true. No. The very first Mary Sue's were there to romance Mr. Spock. Even if you can somehow overlook Slash. Which you shouldn't, but... Anyway, I've had enough. Where is Katrina Cornwell right now? Alright, so Katrina Cornwell in the Gorn War... <laughs> Oh, okay. I I mean, Jean Carnival is the Charlize Theron of the Gorn world. So let's say that, because Robert April, as much as I love him, is a real non-entity mm. in terms of, like, I, I understand why Starkly Command thinks that Pike is the best captain. Yeah, yeah. Because Starkly Command is also completely incapable of making decisions or having opinions. Mm -hmm. They are very afraid, I guess, of making the wrong choice. And so their choice is to not make choices. Yeah. And so I would say that Katrina Cornwell is fuming behind the scenes <laughs> because she thinks that Robert April's choice to be like, we're going to go along with what the Gorns say because mm. we've decided that's a good choice not because we actually have any reason to do that yeah it goes completely against katrina cornwell let's put a puppet uh empress in in, in the Klingons <laughs> and, and make that happen mm. which is also not a good choice but but it's a choice saying, i love her and that's her choice mm. so i think that if she knew what was happening on the Enterprise that she would want to convince Marie Battelle to become Half-Gorn. Yes. And and then negotiate with the Gorn uh, to figure out what they want. And then depending on what that answer is, they would either agree to their terms or annihilate them with an iPad as she does in the end of Discovery Season 1. I love that you came up with this never having watched Babylon 5 because my favourite character on Babylon 5 is an alien who, after almost annihilating humanity, is like, it's really important that I become half-human 
to be a bridge between the two worlds. And the humans are like, did you just finish doing some war crimes against us? And she's like, no. Anyway, I think that's fantastic. I love the idea of half Gord Marie sort of being manipulated into it by her old friend and mentor. Uh, I think it's funny you should mention Laurel and the puppet chancellery because I think uh, that Katrina is leading a very low-key delegation on Kronos to go, hey, we've noticed that the Gorn really overlap with some of your space. Do we want to, like, team up against them? Do we agree to put our differences aside and deal with the Gorn or what? And and nicely, politely give Laurel the illusion of having a choice. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and sometimes transcripts of our episodes. You can follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, and Blue Sky, all at antimatterpod. And on Mastodon at antimatterpod.com. 104.social? Oh, like oh, my friend got in touch to say that we've been saying it wrong and it's actually antimatterpod at 10forward.social. Antimatterpod at 10forward.social. Like an email address, apparently. Who knows how messed If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us next time for the fourth season premiere of Lower Decks, Lower Lower Decks. Decks.